Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and I really wanted you to say lowering the eagles, because I kind of missed lowering that. Lowering the eagles. <laughs> It'll come back. We will mess up eventually. Okay, good. But, I mean, nobody's going to know unless they listen to the blooper reels at the end of the episodes when there are blooper reels. But anyway, and today we are joined by game designer Jonathan Tweet. He's got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about in today's episode, but specifically what he wanted to discuss is drawing out creativity from your players. And so that's something that we're going to be talking about in the upcoming meat of this episode. Also... Based on our conversation, if you head over to Patreon, you can check out the campaign primer that I made that you can use an example for your own games, and it is set for the world of Day Iron Bay. Before we jump into the meat, Neil, we have some five-star reviews. We do, and our first five-star review comes from Appellant Con, but like Con, angry Star Trek Con, and they entitled it New DM, five stars. As an aspiring DM with only a few D&D friends, this is great. My wife and I just barely found Dungeons and & Dragons and we're loving it, but not having any friends that really DM, I've decided to take up the mantle and this podcast really helps with the ideas. Just a great thing to get my brain thinking up new ideas. So thank you, Appellant Khan. And I really want to know more about how that's the name you came up with. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Our next one comes from Keel0097, five stars, and is entitled RPG Podcasting at its finest. This is a very special one. The host of the Dungeon Masters block deliver helpful, inspiring, and entertaining ways for Dungeon Masters, future Dungeon Masters, and players to improve how they play all types of tabletop RPGs. Subscribe and listen to this podcast now. My one recommendation for this podcast is that it needs more Matt Keel from the Detentions and Dragons podcast. Winky face. Note, this was one of the first D&D podcasts I listened to when I first started DMing. I would recommend this podcast regardless of my network <laughs> affiliation with them. <laughs> so if you don't know, that's from Matt over at Detentions and Dragons, one of the other podcasts in our network. If you haven't listened to them, definitely go check them out. Uh, Matt has been on the show, and apparently he wants back on the show. I think we can probably do that in the future, Neil. What do you think? I think we should definitely have Josh Reisted from Detentions and Dragons back on the show. <laughs> no, Josh doesn't get back on the show until he writes a review like that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Perfect. That's their, that's their entrance fee. So anyway, with that, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The plate meat's back on the menu, boys. So welcome again to this segment of the meat. I'm super excited. Today we have Jonathan Tweet here joining us, author and game designer, creator of the Over the Edge RPG, and author of Grand Mother Fish. Jonathan, welcome so much to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I love talking to gamers. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. And I, like Mitch said, we're super excited. And so we'll just jump right into our interview section. And with my personal favorite question, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, long walks on the beach, whatever <laughs> strikes your fancy. Yeah. Um, well, I'm an atheist Sunday school teacher. Sometimes I lead with that. Um, <laughs> I've been an atheist most of my life, but my late wife made us join uh, a Unitarian church where atheists are welcome. So that has nothing to do with gaming, but that's sort of the, the other part of my life. Um, I've been gaming since, I don't know, I, my dad got me Dungeons and Dragons in 1977. And I've been doing professional game design since uh, like 87, uh, so 30 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I really love role-playing games because they encourage people to be creative. And, um, you know, in my lifetime, I have seen a turn towards brands and where more and more creativity is being channeled by corporations into their intellectual properties. And I love role-playing games where regular people are creators, where regular you know, players can invent stuff and be and share what they invent with their friends. And I, I think there's just not enough of that in that culture. You're preaching to the choir, if you will, because yeah. we always <laughs> focus on the homebrew world because tailoring your game to who you have at your table is the best way to go. That's yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you can't do that in a video game. You sort of have to play a video game the way it was designed. And the great thing about a role playing game is really it's all up to you. Yep, exactly. Uh, hey, let me all say right. one thing. You mentioned Grandmother Fish, but I don't think we explained to everybody who, what that is. Go for it. Yep. So while I was working at Wizards of the Coast uh, as my corporate job, it, at night I would work on Grandmother Fish, which was my project for teaching evolution to little kids. Like there are lots of Adam and Eve stories for little kids out there, but I wanted one for my daughter. That was about evolution. And, you know, there aren't – turns out there aren't any – books for uh, preschoolers about evolution, or at least there weren't until um, I did mine. It took me 15 years to finally get it right, but uh, I raised money for it on Kickstarter, and it sold out, and we got picked up by Macmillan, and now it's in Italian. It's going to be in Chinese and Japanese, and it's beautiful little book for little kids that gets kids to mimic the sounds and motions of our ancestors. So they, uh-huh. they wiggle like a fish, they hoot like an ape. Uh, There's a really cute thing about grandmother mammal uh, nursing her babies and kids love that one. So it's this really feel good story that actually has great science uh, underneath it. And we know that like all all the best like um, all the best children's stories come from a parent who wants to make it for their Mm -hmm. own individual kid. I mean, look at uh, Winnie the Pooh, right? (laughs) Like and how much look at. What's that? Yeah, the Hobbit. The Hobbit. Yeah, The Hobbit. Look at, um, nope, definitely not M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar movie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's Anyway, right. that's awesome. Go and check that out now. So, Jonathan, one of the things that we were talking about before you came on the show that you are excited to tell our listeners about is the RPG that you've created, Over the Edge. That's Can right. you tell our listeners about Over the Edge, any of them who maybe some of them are familiar with it, maybe some of them are not? Tell us anything you'd like to tell us about it. Okay, well, the big thing is that the new edition has hit the stores now, so it's out there on shelves. Over the Edge is my game of weird urban danger, and uh, I first invented this game in 1990 when 
I thought I was done doing professional game design, and I just wanted a game that would be really fun and really easy to play and wouldn't be a drag. And so I invented this game just to play by myself. It's a homebrew world, homebrew uh, rules, and um, wouldn't you know it, John Nephew at Atlas Games heard (laughs) about it and insisted on publishing it. I tried to talk him out of it. Because uh, it's a really weird. It's I try you know, to talk him <laughs> out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, freeform games these days are pretty common. But in 1992, mm, yeah. when this game released, there weren't any other games like it. And so um, I, I sort of meant it to be unpublishable. You know, by this time I had spent a lot of time working on the Ars Magica role playing game, which is very rules heavy and very sort of continuity heavy because it's based in the Middle Ages. And so I had to do a lot of research to know, you know, what is the food like or whatever. So over the edge is modern urban weirdness. And the whole idea is that you can invent kind of whatever character you want and bring them to this weird outlaw island where there's conspiracies and weird science and psychic powers and aliens. And because it's the modern day, you don't have to read up on it. Um, and because there are no classes or skill lists, you're inventing your character. There's You don't have to read up on the rules before you start. You can just jump in with an interesting character and, um, and get started. And uh, this version, this is the third edition, um, it's a total overhaul. I'm really proud of the work I did in 92, but if you look at the mechanics, they were ahead of their time in some ways, but not in all ways. And so now I've been able to go back and sort of make the game even more true to its original promise, because I've just learned a lot about how to do freeform role-playing games over the years. I've learned a lot from the other game designers like Vincent Baker and Ron Edwards. And so, uh, yeah, it's back and better than ever. Awesome. I mean, it's first of all, it sounds amazing. Second of all, I love that your your story of it getting published is that I tried to convince my publisher not to publish it. I tried to make this an unpublishable game. My yep. failure is what is considered other people's <laughs> success. <laughs> so good. Uh, I love yeah. it. So great. Yeah. It's a great story. Okay. And this leads us to our surprise question, which I guess is my second favorite thing. And We have one from William Johnstone, one of our patrons, and they ask, what is your best character or NPC voice, and can you please demonstrate? Uh, Yeah, so that's funny that they would ask me that I'm known for playing um, small player characters or NPCs with squeaky voices. So uh, um, one was Rita Rocks, the imp who um, defected from hell and became sort of an ally of the characters. That's so good. Uh, you know, and he had a little voice <laughs> like that. And um, But my favorite voice story is uh, in 13th Age, which is like Dungeons and Dragons, only you, you get to be more creative. I had a sorcerer with a serpent familiar. And my sorcerer would speak only when casting spells. So whenever... I was speaking in character, uh, you know, it was really the serpent speaking. And so um, everyone had to, like, talk to me, but really you're talking to the serpent on the guy's shoulder. And that was pretty creepy. And then the serpent, of course, had a lovely voice and just made everyone feel comfortable because (laughs) it's a serpent. Yeah. 
So that's good. great. That's fantastic. So Jonathan, thank you for answering. I love those voices. And of course, William, thank you for supporting us and asking that awesome question. But that's going to lead us right into the meat of the episode about drawing out creativity from the players at your table, which is an invaluable resource. And I'm super excited to start talking about it. So the easiest way to start talking about it, and I think we'll probably have to rein ourselves in on this topic, is the <laughs> benefits of having creative players at your table and all of the awesome things that that is going to benefit the table as a whole. I don't even who who wants to start tackling that one. Jonathan, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, that sounds great. And so, so if you look at uh, my games over the years, they have all one way or another tried to draw the players out and get them to be more creative with their work. And that you really see that in 13th age, the fantasy D20 style game that Rob Hainso and I did. And then it comes out in spades and over the edge uh, by Atlas games. And what I like about drawing creativity out of the players is that uh, it takes a lot of the work off of the game master. A lot of role-playing has been in the form where the game master is sort of entertaining everybody and it's the it's the and, and that what the players do is uh you know react in character to what the game master provides and what i like about if you pull creativity out of your players then they are also entertaining each other and they are producing the material that other players are going to riff off of or uh explore and so you you get a more collaborative process where the game master can't predict what's going to happen because it's it's up to the creativity of the players. And then everybody looks around at the end of the session. And it's like, wow, we did this cool session where nobody really had control over the narrative. And, um, and you get that by it, sort of it, getting players out of the mode of like either trying to solve a problem or trying to simulate their character's personalities. And you, bring them into being creators of, of not sometimes not only what their own character does, but sort of what what's around in the world. And, and so for example, I had a 13th age campaign where the players were going to go to a thieves guild and they wanted to uh, bring something for the party that was going to be there. And uh, so one player, he said, well, we'll just bring a big bag of weed and, that's true enough, but I said, surely you can think of something more interesting than that, because as a player, players know the real world, but the characters know the fantasy world where there's way more going on than the player can ever know. So the players can invent a little something that's part of the background. And what this guy invented was, uh, I'm going to bring a, a soup that's a delicacy. It's a poison soup with live eels in it. And as the eels breathe in the take in the poison, they die, but the poison is neutralized, and when all the eels are dead, then people can eat Whoa. it. Well, in a traditional role-playing sense, only the game master gets to make up stuff like that, and the player mm. only gets to invent stuff about their own character. But this was, I'm going to invent this delicacy just so that I can use it as a prop in this uh, adventure. And so... That was great. That's way more interesting. I remember that years later. And it just comes down to encouraging the players to take a role in in inventing the background and, and fleshing things out. 
Yeah, I have to I have to agree with like everything you said. I think it can take pressure off of especially like new DMs that can really grasp onto this that like we've had like a lot of people write into us in the past and said like I'm kind of worried about starting to DM and like if this is something you can get down from the beginning to be like, hey, you can't come up with you're you're going, oh man, what is this? What is this <laughs> tavern called right off the bat? Don't don't have all that pressure on you. Just instead right. easily like just be like, yeah. oh yeah, John, you want to go to a tavern? Great. Tell me about this tavern that you go to. Yeah. No pressure on you at all. Now John's right. got all the pressure and <laughs> an opportunity to create and add something cool into your story that like what what I've come to learn is that when a player creates something with you as the DM, it becomes way more important to that player and usually oh, yeah. ends yeah. up being way more important to the group as well. I think uh, Neil and me both have definitely said this before, but we have grown exponentially in how we DM, how we GM from talking with people on this podcast and learning so much of the wisdom that uh, guests like you have to come and share with us. And I know from the point that I started this podcast to now, uh, it's definitely been something that I've gleaned a lot. Our listeners always tell us like, oh, like, thanks for like talking about this on the show. This has helped a lot in our group. Like, I think me and Neil would say we're right there with you. Mm-hmm. We're we're right. gaining so much in having these discussions. And I can see in my home group like that creativity has kind of grown in not just myself as a dungeon master, but as in players, when I bring tips and tricks and things to try to draw creativity from them. Um, And it it is, like you said, it helps create this much more amazing experience, uh, better stories when you're working together, uh, when you have players. I I found myself as a DM just going like a player throwing something out on a whim and there's almost like this like, oh yeah, and I think this character should be like this and almost like in a joking manner like, but I know that Mitch has already created this character and I found myself going, that's really good. I really like that. That's (laughs) canon from now on. We're keeping that. And there's this excitement of like, oh cool. I didn't expect that to be actually grabbed onto and used, but why not? Creative storytelling together is amazing. Yeah. So a simple thing that I do, uh, it's really light, is, um, you know, while I'm uh, like running 13th Age, I'm inventing stuff on the fly. And some of that I'm going to come back to and some of that never going to reappear. So at the end of a session, I'll say, well, if the stuff that you fellows encountered, who or what would you as players like to see come back into the campaign mm-hmm. in some way? Right. So someone would say, oh, that magic sword was really cool. I want, you know, we heard about that. I want that. Or I like that character or I like this new religion you invented. And so they get a sense, a, a say, uh, um, even when they're not creating something, they they can like just telegraph to me. This is the thing I think is cool. This is the thing that I want to hear more about. And so then that just work, gets worked back into the campaign. Well, it's so good. It's so easy. I think, but I think one of the biggest parts is that, that initial starting point. And I think one of the things to tell people that are the GM or the DM is that you, you remain in ultimate control because you are the one that knows the most about the story, but relinquishing that control does not take it away. You're just, you're sharing it and in sharing it. Okay. So I came up with this analogy in my head. It almost feels like a Skyrim skill tree. 
because the more you unlock that creative okay. creativity with a single player, like the higher level it will become. Because the thing is, like, unless you've been, you grew up with everyone at your table, which some people have that, some people don't. So I think about Rich Howard as an example is he's done a whole myriad of things in his life. And if you're not willing to let him have that creativity, you're not going to figure out that he has a degree in marine biology. So when those things come up, it's in a way it's foolish for me to try and be the person who's the marine biologist at the table because there is an actual right. marine biologist <laughs> at the table. So when it involves those things, right. dipping into that creativity and kind of knowing in a way what resources you have now at your table, it makes sense to talk to him and have yeah. him do that. Whereas someone else, you know, like I have two business degrees. So when stuff like that comes up, I should be sharing that because I, I mean, I spent a whole lot of money on them. So, <laughs> and I should start using them at some point, but you know, and the idea of like what additional resources now are at your table, especially in creativity and then just unlocking that skill tree in Skyrim. Yeah, that's great because I think that, you know, we've heard it before from our listeners that, Oh man, like starting DMing, it's scary. And then there's this follow-up sometimes of like, I have a player at my table that knows way more rules than I do. And we Fantastic. always say like, good, like use good. them. Yeah. Like it's the same with creativity as Neil just said. Like, I'll be honest, if I were to sit down with a, a, a like game designer or author, like I think there is like this level of like, oh, am I going to hold up? But yeah. get rid of that feeling. Like sit down with somebody at your table who's a storyteller, an author of fantasy or sci-fi or whatever it is and go, awesome, yeah. we have this player now mm -hmm. at my table that I can use as a resource and rather than see it as a hindrance and like be constantly comparing yourself, use them. And like Neil said, if there's somebody who's an expert on something, when you come yeah. to that part of your story, whether in preparation or while in game, turn to that player and say, hey, uh, what do you think is a good, uh, can you help me fill this in? Like, let's yeah. add a lot of good meat to this rather than what I have to bring to the table with this specific thing, which isn't a lot, but you have a lot more experience and make that story better. Yeah. I want to go back to something Neil mentioned about how you get started. How do you mm -hmm. get that creativity rolling? And my standard way to start a campaign is to compose a one-pager. And this is um, my letter to the players to let them know what the campaign is going to be mm -hmm. like and what kind of characters they should create to fit that campaign. And it's important that it's a single page because then I have to work to put what is going to be cool about this campaign into a, a single page, right? It's not the thousand-year dynastic history <laughs> of the dwarf kingdom. That is not the cool thing about the campaign, and so it shouldn't go in that one-pager, right? So it's it's all theme and energy and direction and style, and that's what the one-pager gets across. And then because it's so short, players see that they can add to it. They don't have to read 20 pages of text in order to do a thing or whatever. And so they can read my one-pager and then create a character Everyone independently can come up with a character concept. We all come together and everything's connected to that one pager, which is which is like where the fun is. So everyone is going to be connected to the main themes of the, and style of the campaign. Hmm. That's amazing. And it 
something I haven't dealt with in a while, but a perfect example of something like that. If, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable with what to write or how to write it, looking back at um, Pathfinder's player players guides for each of the adventure paths that they do, it's a free PDF mm-hmm. that you could download to see like con- conceptually what to present. Because the other thing is, with that, you're gonna tell your players what kind of game they're gonna play. You know, because some of those adventure paths, it's sailing the high seas, and then maybe you have someone focused on mounted combat. Probably, right. that's probably right. not going to work out well, um, or super cool, <laughs> and they're on a dolphin. But either yes, right. e- either way, <laughs> so I think that yeah, that's an amazing way to set up because then even that one page going back to the meat is going to spark the creativity in what they're building yes. as a character, even from before session zero, if that's what you have. Right, because you've got the exciting sort of the emotional uh, core, but you've left the as a game master, you've left enough details open that people feel like they can create their own stuff without having to follow continuity. Yeah. So another thing that I do, um, this is something that I started as a standard thing in Everway, which was a freeform game I designed in 95. And that's also going to be like over the edge has been redone and relaunched. Everway is going to get a relaunch probably next year. And, um, but in that session, when in that game, when you first create characters, people around the table will go around and ask each other questions about your characters. It can be out of character stuff like, you know, I know I don't know this about your character yet, but what's the scariest thing that ever happened to your character? And then the player can come up with something. And when you have this sort of back and forth it um, again, it takes the pressure off the game master, and it also helps players create their characters because it's not just me pulling stuff out of my own head. I'm responding to what the other people are asking, and since they're asking questions, it's up to me as the player to decide how to respond. But that gives this sort of people are curious about each other's characters, and uh, most of the time, players have to invent answers rather than just look at their character sheet because you know these questions are getting at broader themes and. Game As a game master, I use those questions as things like, you know, let's say that you were in a, in a situation where you were being overwhelmed by uh, more enemies than you could take. What, what kind of thing would your character do in a situation like that? And in a way, I'm sort of learning about the character, but also sort of learning what to expect from them as their adventure rolls out. And so we do that at the beginning of character creation, and we do that again at the start of every session to sort of loop everybody in and center everybody. Um, and I've taken to doing that. You can do that in any role-playing game, right? That's just a technique of how you get people to start paying attention to each other's characters. Speaking about drawing out creativity, like asking questions like that not only can help you and the other players think of cool directions to take the story because of the answers given – but it's also like yeah. just the question itself may be drawing out creativity because when that player gets asked, what's the scariest thing that you've ever faced before? Well, you know, maybe they already have the answer to that, but there are definitely going to be questions that are going to be asked that they don't. And they're going to have to sit there and maybe think for a second and go, that's a good question. I ha- mm-hmm. I have to like kind of rack my brain a little bit and come up with something and out of that something, it may completely change the way that they see their characters and how they react to situations in the future. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting process to see play out. And you can ask players 
questions that their characters don't know the answer to. Like you can say, what's something that your character thinks is true, but is just dead wrong. Yeah. And obviously the character doesn't know the answer to that, but the, but now that's a way for the player to look at their character from a different angle. I like to do that a lot as the DM. And it is like, as you're saying, like almost like a out of car. It is an out of character question. If there's something that the character is currently going through that as a DM, like I'm seeing like, you know, this, this might be more, there might be more to this than at the moment is being seen by the players at the table or that one player that, you know, you're kind of talking to. And even like sometimes as a DM, you might think of how does this affect, you know, this player has told me about this part of their background. Yeah. Um, How does this affect them because of that? Uh, And you, I think what, what is cool about that is asking that player, like out of character, like, Hey, you just, you just had to torture that, that orc for information. Right. So maybe your your player character didn't really let it show. Uh, it seemed like it kind of wasn't a big issue, but because of this information that you shared about in your background, does this yep. does this affect your character mm. at all? What goes through his mind that night at camp? Like, and I find that the more that you can throw questions out like that, that you also want to encourage like other players to do the same with each other. Like, hey, does this does this affect and it's okay to share that kind of information that's not like your character saying it out loud, but it's a cool thing to be able to, as a group, like get more of an insight into not just what words are being spoken by player characters, but thoughts that are going through their mind through the story progression as well, which might shed a lot of light on actions and words that are shared by that character later on. Right. And uh, so I have an example of that from Over the Edge where um, a character uh, met sort of a rival. Um, The character was a weird televangelist necromancer. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, just really good. And then um, he had – there was someone from the Temple of Divine Experience that was uh, sent to sort of spy on him. And he had gotten some inside information, so he knew this guy was a spy. And when they met – uh, you know, the player character played it really cool because that's the smart thing to do. And a lot of times players want their characters to do the smart thing, which can mean sort of the less emotional thing or the less dramatic thing, right? They're playing it safe. So I said, well, okay, you're obviously playing it safe when you meet him, but what's going on in your head? What do you what do you wish you could say to him that you're not saying? Hmm, and then- I love that. Right, exactly. So then you get the fun of, one, the player still gets to play it smart, but two, you get to see the drama or the emotional turmoil that's going on in the guy. And so, yeah, just like you said, the ability to see what players are doing or what characters are doing internally just enriches the experience for everyone. And there's plenty of times where, like, at the table, the players and the DM know that there are those, like, those behind-the-scenes yeah, thoughts. that's right. And so rather than just move past them quickly, like... Yeah, dive into it and yeah. ask the question like, what what is your character thinking? What does he want to say? Yeah. I love that so much. I I mean, it's so simple, but I feel like it's not a question. I mean, that even I personally ask 
anywhere near I should be now that we started the conversation of what is your character thinking? Because I think a lot of us view that character interaction of like, oh, use your character voice. Mm. And so then the assumption is that you're saying voice, so it has to be something that I'm saying out loud. But that's not true. It could be something that just the character is thinking. And like you said, unless it's very private and the character doesn't want other characters to know, (laughs) you know, and but like getting in the mind because then that's going to you know, if you will, unlock more creativity for you because you know exactly not just what the character is doing, but what they're thinking as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's, so good. You can do a lot just by the way that you sort of orient toward the toward the characters, like you said. Yeah. So in Over the Edge, the characters are designed um, with practically no numbers. It's all style and content and free form and um it's structured how you build your character but you're 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 not point buying you're not rolling dice you're you're building a character kind of thematically or dramatically and the character is so simple that each player is given a sheet of paper and they write down sort of the descriptions the traits of all the characters in the group on a single sheet of paper so now I have in a column, you know, your main trait, your side trait, the your question mark, the thing that's unknown about you, the thing that gets you into trouble. And I can look at every player's character while things are going on. So while you are in the spotlight with your character, I can look at, as a player, I can look at everything going on with your character and remember, oh, you have this motivation or you have this side trait or, and so now as a, uh, when I'm rolling, playing my character, I can play off what I know about your character. And so by giving everybody sort of a cheat sheet on what everyone else is like, it, it reminds everybody to focus on each other's characters and to, to react to them sort of um, in, in sort of the full range of what these characters are about. So, oh, so good. <laughs> There's so many, so many things. And I, I feel like Mitch and I keep coming up with this. It's just like... Do what we say, not what we do. Because there have been several things where it's like, man, we talk about this so often and I'm so bad at it. Um, I apologize to my players that listen to this. Uh, So another thing that we wanted to focus on a little bit is drawing out the creativity from the group as a whole and just honing in on specific ways to get it from everyone. And I'll, I'll kick it off with being the facilitator of the idea of yes and. Yeah. So when you have an NPC show up, don't, I mean, ask the players a specific thing about that NPC, but then kind of toss it around. Almost, you know, so like I said, you're facilitating yes and. So, okay, so what race and gender is this character? Yeah. And someone will give you that. Okay, what's this quirk that everyone notices whenever they speak to them? Yeah. And someone gives you that. And so being that facilitator of yes and to allow certain aspects of the game to be a group effort rather than necessarily one person telling me all of those things about that NPC. Yeah, that's right. So any other, do you guys have anything for the group specifically rather than just the individual? Yeah. So I start with a one pager that goes out to the whole group so that everybody is, has the same sort of vision of what the thing is going to be like. And a lot of times, if I don't do that, instead, the character creation session is also sort of the campaign structure session where we decide, okay, you guys are all going to be involved in a sandwich shop. That was one of the um, it's one of the themes 
that it's awesome. one of the, I know. So the, my, my players are all, they all make their um, living with their words. So they're in marketing or copywriting or game design or whatever. We've been playing for 20 years. So it's a just a really fun group to be with. And, you know, some guy, one of the players kind of to throw a challenge in, it's like, well, instead of being, you know, we're spies on a mission or, you know, we're starting a cult, we've got a sandwich shop and that's our thing. And so, well, okay, <laughs> obviously much more came out of it, but that was the the sort of the central hub for the campaign activity. So yeah, get, getting players to sort of, let's all put our heads together and figure out what this campaign is going to be like uh, is um, is one way to do it. I think we've talked a lot of that group, like tips and tricks already, like that we can do to help our group become more creative. I think the the one thing I would just throw in there just as a kind of bookend to that would just be to try as a DM and and get your players on board to like have that understanding that you as a DM don't or a GM don't want to be only in control of, and like, that's not a, that's just not a good game gaming experience to have you as the DM or the GM only be in control of the way that the story goes. That's not how it should be. We always say without players, you have like you as a DM, you have nothing Uh, without uh, the characters in your story. Your story doesn't matter. So you need to make sure to develop an atmosphere at your table where your players, I think, should feel comfortable throwing out ideas, throwing out questions to other players, right. um, bringing up like, hey, I'd like to go to this uh, a tavern because I want to look for some rumors and kind of not being so shocked when you as a DM throw out to them. Cool. Tell me what that tavern's named. Tell me a little bit about the tavern. Who owns it? Like, and even even sometimes going like, do you know the people? Have you a backstory here that you know? And yeah. maybe the answer will be will be no. But like to gain more of the storytelling as a group uh, than just you as the DM telling them, here's how it is X Y and Z. Like, I've laid it out. Don't question it. That's that's not what I think this game is supposed to be, what role-playing as a whole is supposed to be, what Over the Edge, as like you've said, is supposed to be. It's supposed to be doing it as a group. Right. And I think one of the important parts of that, one of the things that lets players get more creative is if if the challenges that they go up against are not all make or break. Like there's... um sort of a standard now in Dungeons and Dragons, which I think I helped set with third edition, which is that the players are going to win every battle. They're going to, you know, mm-hmm. and that sort of losing throws things off, right? There's so many uh, D&D or just role-playing adventures where if you don't defeat the monsters in the first room, you can't get to the second room and it's over. And so in those situations, it's hard to be creative because if you don't do the right thing, you won't defeat the monsters and you won't get to the second room. So Over the Edge is based in a weird city in the modern day where people have all sorts of motivations. Like one guy, he was literally the the shadow of somebody. So he was he seemed human, but there was really hardly much to him. And he, he wrote self-help books, which were all tripe you know and then he ended up falling in love with a fan of his and then he had to like 
can he be a real person and have a real relationship with somebody, not as the author, mm. but as who he is? And he he did this big setup where he invited his love interest to this big reveal, and he did a big reading and and in public, and then he rolled his dice and he missed his roll by one, and so his beloved was overwhelmed, didn't know what to do, and ran off and joined cult. And uh, so, <laughs> but what was great was he could lose, right? Like he, he could fail at that and it's still interesting. The, the game keeps going on because then it's like, well, what do you do now that you failed at this? Whereas if that were a battle to the death, he would lose and be like, well, I guess you're dead. I mean, I gotta say, I think part of the, the best part of this show and doing the show are the little nuggets of inspiration that I hear and go, I want to bring that into my own game. And listeners write and go, I want to bring that in my own game. And so, uh, all right, we've done it. This episode is good. It's golden. We can we can end here. But we won't yeah. end here. Because <laughs> we do want to talk about one more thing uh, before we kind of end this conversation. Oh, first off, if people didn't, if people didn't make a ton of ghostwriting jokes about that character, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> <with you. laughs> ghostwriting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So we've talked a lot about um, drawing out creativity in our players as a group, but there is obviously people are different. Neil, you kind of got into a little bit with the talking about like bringing up Rich Howard and like marine biology. And like we talked about like, you know, and Neil, you are you have business degrees. So like having people having different people in your group is amazing. That's how it's always going to be. People are going to be different. People work differently. People have different interests. People have different skills. So honing in, looking from the group to the individual, uh, at the individual players at your table, do we have any tips and tricks how to focus in on different individuals and like draw out creativity from them in different ways? Right. So, you know, in fact, when... If you went back 20 or 30 years, I would probably say, well, you know, anybody can do whatever if you just uh, uh, draw it out of them. And now I have more experience with people and I see that people, like you say, are different. Um, so I think it really depends on knowing each player and pulling out of them what they are capable of. Right. So I've got one player who's he's pretty serious about sort of being his characters being successful or, you know, pursuing his goals. And so his character was the example of the one where because he was going to play things really safe when he met this spy, right? He was the necromancer evangelist because he's the kind of player who plays things safe. I take it to the next level and say, okay, well, what are you thinking about then? And sort of draw something out that doesn't violate his way of playing, which is to play it safe, but allows him to still share stuff with the characters. And then there are other players who they're happy to throw their character into a crazy mix and do, you know, have things go wrong for them. And so I can ask them questions in a different way or pose them different challenges. So I think it's, you know, everybody's capable of something, but it's all different stuff. And so you, you learn which, hmm. what, what the players like. Some, one player I know never, likes his character never to have someone get the drop on them or to, you know, put them in a bind. And so, well, I'll challenge that character, that player in different ways. You know, it's role-playing for good and ill is made out of people. And so, yeah, get to know your people. Yeah. One of the things going off of that, too, is like, what is the comfort? what is the comfortable medium by which that player can be creative? Yeah. Because one player can, you know, and just come up with things on the fly and talk about it and say all these cool things at the table. Whereas there's one 
player that may be completely uncomfortable with that, but then write that 10 page essay about the backstory of an individual NPC and realizing that and being okay with that, taking that from, you know, from the one player and folding it back in. So really figuring out like, I mean, yeah, know your players, but figuring out which direction that their their creativity can flow and being able to kind of go back and forth between those and fold them back in. Basically having them do most of the work for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real secret of yeah. DMing. Yeah, I think that's I think there will be certain aspects of drawing out creativity in your players that will become obvious if you're looking for it from your players. One of my players, uh Casey is like super super good at doing voices and like yep. doing sound mm-hmm. effects like he wanted to be a like a voice actor like when he was younger and he definitely has the skill for that so one thing i've started doing at my table and it's just something little but they have fun with it is like personally i'm i don't really i love doing voices but i don't always love doing sound effects for like a monster or something that yeah like i'll do it and then I'll be like, oh, gosh, that did not come out the way that right. I expected. <laughs> that was horrible. So instead, a lot of the times I'll say and I'll do something along the lines of uh, and the dire wolf comes out of the woods and howls and the howl sounds like and I'll just point to one of my players. Right. And if they if they do it so with good. like gusto, I'll throw them an inspiration point yeah, because yeah. I'm like, dude, that was great. And I didn't have to howl and have my voice crack and look like an idiot in front of everybody and now the dire wolf doesn't look intimidating at all yeah that's great Um, (laughs) so there's like little aspects like that um when uh dm chris was playing with me he just started out of the blue writing a journal for uh his character and it was this whole other like it was our story but it was our story seen through his eyes and getting to experience that was was wonderful but i think we would be remiss to like also not notice that there are other skills in players that could draw out creativity from them. And it's, it's not about like giving them homework. I think you want right. to make sure that they want to do it, but some, some players might be really great at painting. So yeah. what if mm-hmm. you like had them, if they wanted to like paint the minis for your games characters, some players might be artistic in that sense and like be really good at making maps so when you throw that like white dry erase board down rather than having if you're not artistic having your terrible map (laughs) to have your place your minis on throw it to that player and say draw me draw me a room this is what it's gonna like it's a chamber uh it's got a statue in the middle and having them do it it's probably gonna look better if you're not great at that kind of thing having them do it or even in that sense like drawing character portraits for the player's characters of which then like Jonathan, you said questions are going to be asked, like tell me about the features of your character. That's right. Like a lot of times when I ask that now as a DM, I get a very quick, like, Oh, he's this, he's this, he's that, or she's this, she's this, she's that. But if you're having a person draw the character portraits, details are going to be said details that are going to be important. And come back probably. So there's a lot of different ways you can hone in on individuals and draw out creativity from them. Perfect. Well, Jonathan, we have the most important question for you. Okay. Where can people go on this wide world worldwide web? I've heard. And where can they find all of the awesome stuff you're doing? But I mean, part of that is they can go to their game stores and purchase things as well. So, yeah, that's right. So over the edge is um, on shelves now. And uh, we did a Kickstarter for it last year, and 
uh, hit store shelves June 1st. So uh, that is the most the most comprehensive look at how I encourage creativity in game masters and players. Like it, the, everything from character creation to conflict resolution, it's all about creativity and drama and story and characterization. And so that's all great. People can find me as Jonathan Tweet all over the social media. So I'm on Twitter as Jonathan M as in Michael Tweet. I'm on Facebook, Jonathan Tweet. I'm on NWorld. Uh, it's Jonathan Tweet, so I, I'm pretty easy to find, and I love to hear from gamers. Definitely awesome, and well, like like we said, we'll have all of that in the show notes. Um, I, I can't have your local game store in the show notes, but you should go there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So thanks again, Jonathan, for joining us, and we would love to have you back sometime in the future. Okay, that sounds great. Thanks. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right? right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? So welcome to another segment of the Mail Bag of Holding, the place where we come to talk about stories, ideas, and questions from you, the listener. I have here an email from Possible DM Matt, and DM Matt, explains that he has an idea for the start of a new campaign for his players. And so, Neil, he wants a little bit of feedback on uh, this idea, and I know that we'll have uh, some surefire feedback for him. I'm ready. So his idea is that he would he would ask his players to create level 15 to 20 characters. So we're talking like high-level characters for the first session. Uh, as he starts his first session, he would introduce a big bad, and his goal would be to make this big bad really, really, really powerful, a really difficult boss battle to fight at the end. And he thinks that what it would really turn out to be would be there would probably be like only maybe two PCs that would make it out of this battle alive. And so the twist would be at the end when his players are sitting there like, oh, gosh, like our characters have died first night. He would then kind of transition to an elder sitting around a fireplace and telling a story of a historical event of which his players are actually a part of. And from there, he would introduce and work with his players to introduce the actual characters that are part of the campaign that he's playing. So this this level 15 through 20 character would actually just be something for like an epic story that's being told around a campfire the very first session. So first off, Neil, what do you what do you think about this idea as far as like storytelling, as far as mechanics? What are your thoughts? I think that's really good. It's a lot. Uh, just up front, it's a lot for your of investment for your players if they don't know that that's going to be the second part. So if you did want to keep it secret, my thought would be to say that it's a one shot just to kind of have it be this catalyst because even with a one shot, the idea of having players die is more likely because they're willing to take risks that they otherwise wouldn't take. It depends on how how much of a veil you're trying to put up. If you wanted to say like, oh, I don't know, the main campaign's maybe not all the way ready. So I, but I did have this one shot I wanted you guys to just test out so that we can, you know, and kick things off next time. 
But then, like I said, having them build these characters and then use that to start the actual game. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. In fact, uh, he does mention that they're playing Pathfinder, uh, which if you're creating a level 15 to 20 character in any edition, that certainly is not an easy feat. Ooh. In Pathfinder, that yeah, Neil, whoo, that is not an easy feat. So I think that's a great idea, Neil. You can kind of, if you're wanting to keep it secret, you can say, hey, it's going to be a one shot and then be like, actually, guess what? It's leading into our next campaign. This is cool. It's a tie in. This is exciting. Or the other option would be is to be up front with them and just say, hey, like we've got we, we're going to start a new campaign. What I need you to do is create level five characters, but also level 15 to 20 characters. But I want you to realize that those really high level characters are not going to be used very much. So don't spend a ton of time in creation. And then the other option is to present pre-generated characters and to allow them to create the characters in who they are while at the same time having the mechanics of them written out on a sheet. So, oh, would you like to play a cleric character for this session? Here is your cleric pre-gen level 20 character. Sure, come up with the name. Race, go for it. Even if it changes a little bit, that's not a big deal. But not having them put in a lot and a lot of work and then because I think the problem is that you could have that payoff that you're looking for, which I think is a really great storytelling device, be kind of trampled out by disappointment in players when they realize I just did a lot of work for a very short amount of time. Definitely. And while Mitch was giving you that advice, I looked up a little bit more. And of course, the Internet did not fail me today. We can always check tomorrow. but. There is a – because my other thought was going on to – so it's a segment on Dragon Talk where Kate Welch and Greg Tito basically hit random character generator in D&D Beyond and talk about it. And, of course, if you look that up, Pathfinder random character generator, there is a GitHub page that someone created. I just typed in level 15, hit generate, and now I have a character ready to go. So it's another way that you could make the pregens or even have your players go and find what speaks to them. But you know, the effort is literally clicking generate. Yeah, exactly. I think Neil and I love the idea story wise that you're trying to pull across here. And I think there's a lot of good payoff here. Just put yourself in the shoes of your players and go, how do I get them there without there being disappointment or a lot of work for them for something that doesn't necessarily need to have that much work being there? So thank you so much, Possible DM Matt, for writing in with that great idea and that letting us discuss it. We just want to thank Jonathan again for spending some time with us and having that great discussion about tapping into the resource that is your players and drawing their creativity out of them. If you want to tell us about how you have tapped that resource that is at your table, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Yeah, and of course, if you like this episode or any of the other ones, head on over to iTunes where you can leave us a five-star review, which we'll read on air. And we are dangerously close to 500. Ooh, dangerously close. You can follow us at Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places will have updates about current episodes of the show, links to our guests' Twitter feed, and much, much more. 
So this week we have another Patreon shoutout, and today's Patreon shoutout goes to... Maidens. Yes, if you listen to DMnastics, you have heard many times. Celeste is the DM for Venture Maidens, and we appreciate their support. And to them, I say, venture away. Yes, thank you so much, Venture Maidens. The Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out our other shows like Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, Detentions and Dragons, and more. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the other people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch, reminding you to keep on Dungeon Mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. Schedule the D&D night, but don't show up keep your players on their toes see what they do without you goodbye